Island Church would like to thank you for tuning in. Today, you will be hearing a message from our 18th annual Fall Harvest Conference. Lord, we honor you. We glorify you tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the price that you paid for our redemption, that you died for us upon the cross and shed your own blood for us, and that through you, we have forgiveness of all our sins and healing from every disease and sickness and victory over all the powers of the evil one. We thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead and you are at the right hand of the Father and you have seated us together with you at your right hand side. We thank you. And we thank you that you said where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you're there in the midst of them. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence in this place. Lord, I ask you to reach out your hand and touch our lives, touch our hearts, our minds, our souls, our physical bodies, heal those that are sick. Lord, kindle in our hearts a fresh fire for your gospel, Father. Touch our hearts, Lord, that we may bear much fruit for you so that you be glorified in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's pray in the spirit a little bit. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we honor you. We glorify you. Hallelujah. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the blessing of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, when I was, I was standing there, I had this old song I haven't heard for ages ringing in my head. And do you know that song? It's the Holy Ghost and fire that is keeping me alive. Keeping me alive. Oh, keeping me alive. It's the Holy Ghost and fire that keeping me alive. Jesus is keeping me alive. Praise God. I just had to get it out of my system. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. You know, think with this song, it has no ending. <laughs> you know, it goes on and on and on. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. Please be seated. That's why I thought I'll just end it after singing it one time, because once you get going, you can sing it forever. Praise God. Well, the Lord is good. Thank you, Pastor Rusty, Pastor Leah, for having me here. It has truly been a privilege and honor. And I don't take it lightly. And thank you for your generous offering to help us feed the pastors in Africa. You know, right now we have provided three months food for more than 1,000 pastors. And then this will enable us to do more for them or, uh, or, or maybe just give them something for Christmas. You know, feed them uh, during the Christmas month because that is going to be a difficult time for them. So we'll... Uh, we'll, we'll We'll try to do this. So, you know, it'll be a real blessing for our brothers there. 
Praise God, because you know in Africa, those pastors, I mean, their dedication is something else. They work so hard, so much for so little pay because they, they minister to the poorest of the poor who, has, who have nothing to give them, and, and they work very hard. And I know I work with, with them, and I know uh, the sacrifice they make for the gospel, and especially in this, these times, COVID-19, it has really affected them. So we, it's, it's a good thing that we can bless others, you know. God said to Abraham, I'll bless you and I will make you a blessing. And that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Amen. That the blessings of God pass through our hands to help others. Praise God. Anyway, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, okay, I've got the, I've got the scriptures written here. What I'm going to do is... Read to you verses 14 to 16, verses 14 to 16. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He says, I am, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let me read it again. He said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Amen. So he begins by saying that he is a man who is in debt. He's a debtor. A debtor is a man who is in debt. So he says that I'm a debtor. I'm in debt to the Greeks. That means to the heathens and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. In other words, he is in debt to everybody. He looks at himself as a man who is in debt, who is living to pay off a debt. Now, you know, when we think of uh, uh, as being Christians, we think kind of Jesus has set us free and I'm pretty much free to live my life the way I want to live it, but that's not entirely true. We are in debt. And it's important for us to recognize that we are in debt. So I'm going to start by telling you, uh, because I thought of this, who am I in debt to? Who am I in debt to? I have a house and we work very hard, my wife and I, to pay off the debt. And our house is paid for. Uh, my car is paid for. So these are the two uh, two biggest things in which Americans owe, owe money, their house and their car. And my house is paid for, my wife's car is paid for, my car is paid for, because we really make sure that we do not live beyond our means and we pay off our debts. But then I realize I'm still in debt. And I have an unpayable debt, a debt that I can never repay. So I'm going to give you a list of people who I am in debt to, and you can use that as a, as a template, and you can uh, make your own list of who you are in debt to. The first person I'm in debt to is Jesus Christ. He loved me 
When I was unlovable, he died for me. When I was not worth that anyone should die for me, but he gave his life for me. He looked down from heaven and he looked at me the way I was. I was a sinner. I was lost in sin and I was steeped in sin. I, the condition of my life was such that my family was ashamed of me and I was ashamed of myself. Every morning when I would wake up and, and I would look at the mirror, I hated myself. I used to curse the day when I was born, but still he loved me. And not only did he love me, but he, he believed in me and he gave his own life and shed his own blood to purchase me. And after that, he continued investing in my life. Although through the course of these 45 years, uh, when I first met him, I have let him down many, 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 many times. Many, many, many times I've let him down. So I've not been the most stellar example of a child of God. I've let him down and yet he has always lifted me up. Always spoken to me and encouraged me. When, when other people have, have totally given up on me, he chose never to give up on me. So he's the person, he's the first person to whom I owe a debt. The second person I owe a debt to is a man called Keith Frampton. Now, Keith Frampton was the second son of uh, uh, KP and uh, Pauline Frampton, who are both, I believe they're both home with the Lord. And Mr. KP Frampton was one of the wealthiest uh, Christian philanthropists in England in the 60s and the 70s. He was, he, was, he was like a real estate king, you know, like a magnet. And he was very, very, very wealthy. And he had three sons. And one was Clive, the second was Keith, and the third was David. And Mr. Frampton, I mean, they gave, they gave away millions of dollars to missions and to the work of the gospel in England. And Worldwide, they, I mean, they were big givers. And so one day what happened, Clive and the third son, David was his name, came to mom and dad and said, mom and dad, we, God has called us to go on the missions field. This is not what they had expected because sometimes you want to give your money away, but you don't want to give your life or your children and so anyway, so he blessed them and they went. And David went down to Africa, but Keith got on a bus and he took a bus to Istanbul, Turkey. From there, he took a bus to, uh, I think he went to uh, Tehran. And then from Tehran, he, uh, he went to Afghanistan. And from Afghanistan, he came to Pakistan and he was going to India uh, just to do ministry. And he was passing through the city of Lahore where I lived at that time. And uh, so when he came to Lahore, you know, he lived in a, grew up in a wealthy home with a lot of money, but he left all that. And, and now he was in Lahore. He was there for, I think he was there for one night or two nights. And his friends told me later on that that night, you know, he was tired. And when he went to bed, they could hear him praying. He was on his room praying and he was saying, Lord, just give me one soul for Jesus. Somebody in this Muslim land who's going to serve you. Just one soul for 
Jesus. And uh, the next morning he did the unthinkable, something you don't do in a Muslim country. He went out and began to hand out tracts and there came I. And I saw him and I walked across the street to him and asked him who he was. Actually, you know, I was messed up. I was 21 years of age. I was suicidal and I was across the street. And this was in the 70s. Everybody was smoking or experimenting with something. And I saw this, this white man, like six foot, five feet tall. And I saw this, he had this look of peace and joy that, uh, you know, that was amazing. And I thought, he has something that I have never known. I I have to find out what he is smoking. So I, I crossed the street and began to talk to him. And Keith began to tell me about Jesus. And that was the day I gave my life to Jesus. And I never met Keith Frampton again. I never met him again. I don't know whether he's alive, but I later on, you know. But, but, but here's the thing. I owe that man a debt. Because he left everything and he went to a far country, uh, to a Muslim country and risked his life. And he was handing out tracts and, and, and here come I. And I had never seen a Bible in my life. I had never met a Christian. I had never heard about Jesus. And I had that one encounter with him in which I gave my life to Jesus. And I owe that man a debt. Hallelujah. The third person on my list is a man called Pastor Jim Turner. I spent a year in prison for preaching the gospel and I was tortured. And then when I came out, they wanted to kill me. And then uh, what happened was that I started going to church and uh, that church wouldn't let me take Holy Communion. They wouldn't let me take communion because I'd not been water baptized. And for me, I wanted to, uh, it was very important for me to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus. And uh, Communion Sunday, they used to ask me to sit in the back. They didn't want to embarrass me. And I said, Pastor, why don't you baptize me? He was an Australian missionary. missionary. He says, uh, I can't baptize you. Then he told me the reason why he says that what has happened in the past is that when a, a, a pastor has baptized a Muslim convert, the fundamentalist gets very angry and they kill the convert, the, the one who's baptized. Then they'll kill the pastor. Then they'll burn the church down and they'll, they'll go on a rampage and start killing Christians and destroying the, their homes. And this has happened so many times and people have been killed. So we, the pastors, have decided... We are not going to baptize any Muslim converts. So I'm sorry, we can't baptize you. So I couldn't find anyone to baptize me. And then I met this uh, American missionary, a uh, 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 Baptist missionary, uh, Jim Turner. And I, I just met him a couple of times. I didn't really know him. And he said to me, he says, brother, I've heard you want to be baptized so you can take communion. I said, yes, sir. He says, I will baptize you. I said, pastor, I've been told it's quite a risky thing. And plus, you're an American. If something happens to you, you know, it'll be an international uh, incident. He says, don't worry. He says, I, he says, I know the risks and I know I watched you and I know that the hand of God is over your life and if partaking of 
the Lord's table is so important to you, I will baptize you. So he took me to the Indian Ocean and there he baptized me. And a few weeks later, I left the country. And it's a long story, but I ended up in Sweden in Bible school. And then five months later, I received the news that Pastor Turner had been killed by the fundamentalists because he had been baptizing me. You cannot even imagine what I went through. And I still can't understand why this American missionary with a, a young missionary with a wife and three beautiful children would risk his life for an Arab boy so that I could take communion. And since that day, every time I, I take communion, I think of Pastor Turner. Every altar call I give and people raise their hands to receive Jesus. I look at the crowds and I, I think I'm trying to pay off a debt. Because that man gave his life so that I can live out my destiny. And I know, I know many times I've got preacher friends who have been discouraged and I know people... People went with me to Bible school who even left the ministry because they got discouraged. And others have fought discouragement but haven't given up. But I don't even have the right to, uh, uh, don't have the privilege even to let those thoughts come to my mind because of the price that Pastor Jim Turner paid for me. His unfinished life so that I could fulfill my destiny of preaching the gospel. I can't even begin to tell you how much I owe that man and that when I go to heaven that will be a debt that will still remain unpaid. Because it has cost me something to preach the gospel. But for Jim Turner it cost him everything and much more. So I owe a debt there. Then the next person on my list is a man called Kenneth E. Hagen. All that he invested in my life, both when I was a, a student at Rhema and then later on when I got to know him personally, uh, the way he spoke into my life and encouraged me. And, 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 and because of him, I mean, the way my family and I live our lives because of the way, uh, uh, you know, uh, the way uh, we live our lives, the way I do ministry, everything is based on what I learned at the feet of that man. I remember when we went back from Rama and my wife Britta, we were expecting our first child, Emmanuel. And, uh, uh, and what happened was that, uh, you know, when you go for the prenatal checks and the doctor told us that, that the baby is not moving, there's no sign of life. And this went on for, I think, about five weeks. And, and during those five weeks, we, we, we brought up the things we had learned at the feet of Brother Hagen and, and spoke the word. I would lay my hands on her belly and prophesy and speak the word. And after, I think, four or five weeks, suddenly there was that sign of life. And today, he's 37 years old, a fine young man serves the Lord full of the Holy Ghost. I owe a debt there. These are things I cannot walk away from. Then the next person on my list, a lady you have never heard of, lived in a little cabin in Sweden. 
a little wooden house in a little village in the far north of Sweden, Margit Turfiel. And since the day I married my wife, until the day she died for 37 years, she prayed for me every day, every single day. Nobody knows her name. But she prayed for me every day. So if there's been any good fruit from my life and my ministry, it's because of her. Also people like Dottie Sheeler, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, prayed for us every day for 26 years since I first met her until she died a few months ago. Prayed for us every single day. Even when she was in the nursing home dying, her daughter told us, without fail, Christopher, she prayed for you and for your family. You see, these are people who are unknown. But whatever we are, we are because of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm in debt. And these are, de these are debts I cannot free myself from. These are people I cannot walk away from. I can't say I'm free to do what I want. This is my life. Because we Americans, we like to talk about our rights. But our obligations are greater than our rights. And we live under those obligations. And that is why we preach the gospel. Ask men like Pastor Rusty, Pastor Eddie, why we preach the gospel. That is why we preach the gospel. Because we carry. Because too much has been invested in our lives for us to walk away from. So that's why Paul says, I'm in debt. But I'm also in debt to other people, sinners. I look back at my classmates when I was in the military. Guys who graduated with me. And I, some of them were men far better than I was. And, uh, but I'm the one who got saved. I'm the only one of my whole graduating class from the military college who, we became officers and I'm the only one who came out of Islam and got saved. So I owe it to them. Because if there was any, anybody, any kind of, um, if there's anybody who could say that, well, I deserve to hear the gospel, I would be the last. But I heard the gospel before they did. And I got the grace from God to respond to the gospel because they did. So I owe it to them. I owe it to them. So I'm in debt. So we, I'm in debt to sinners. When I go and stand in Africa and other places and I see all these sinners, I owe it to them because it makes me think, what right is, do I have to hear the word of God twice, thrice, four times in my life when there are people who have not even heard it once? So I am in debt. So that's why Paul is saying, I'm in debt. So, my friends, we are all in debt. You can make your own list. I have read you my list. You can make your own list of people who you are in debt to. Now, verse 15, so it says, so verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor. Verse 15, it says, so as much as in me is, 
I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Paul was always ready to preach the gospel. We should always be ready to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. Always ready to preach the gospel. Praise God. To whoever we meet. Wherever we may be. You don't have to pray about it. Amen. Do you ever, do you ever pray about going on a vacation? You want to go on a weekend, you say, okay, let me pray about it. Let me fast for a week. Lord, should I? You just do it because you feel like it. And it should be the same with the gospel. The gospel must be preached. We must tell about Jesus to sinners at every opportunity we get. Doesn't matter where we are. Hallelujah. Praise God. Whether they be rich, whether they be poor, uh, it doesn't matter who they are. I mean, uh, you know, once I was sitting on a plane, I was flying from Copenhagen to Paris to preach. I lived in Sweden at that time, and I was sitting next to the, you know, actually I missed my flight, so uh, I, I messed up the time. The flight was at uh, 5 uh, Oh, 05 and I thought it was 5.50 so I came to the airport too late and they said sir you have to buy a new ticket so I said isn't there any way you can help me out they said no 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 you have to buy a new ticket and we only have space in business class I said fine so uh, I bought a business class ticket and I'm sitting in front next to the cousin of Queen Elizabeth Lord Litchfield was his name, Patrick Litchfield. So I'm sitting next to Lord Litchfield and I begin to think, you know, I am tired, I'm a bit ticked off, angry because I have to pay for this new ticket. But then I realize that uh, I paid that money to sit next to this man. This is what it cost me to preach the gospel to this man because I wonder if anyone has ever shared Christ with him. So I shared the gospel with this man and I shared the gospel and this man was eating out of my hand. So when we went through passport control and went to, uh, you know, pick up our luggage, he was next to me asking me questions. And then then I prayed with him and I gave him a book. I, the only thing I had was Smith Wigglesworth's ever-increasing faith. And so I gave that book to him. You know, we should always look for every opportunity. Another time I was in Sri Lanka, I got on a taxi and this poor guy comes up to me and he's begging and, and, and he's making some sign language and I asked the taxi driver who spoke English, I said, what's wrong with him? He said, he's deaf mute. I said, he's deaf mute? So I was tired, you know, I was not prepared. I had not prepped up or, you know, worked the anointing up. So I just stuck my fingers out of the car into his ears and I said, you deaf and dumb spirit, Come out of him in the name of Jesus. And the next moment the man began to hear and to speak. You see, we should always be ready with the gospel. In season, out of season, no matter what situation we are in, we should always be prepared to share Jesus with people in need. Hallelujah. I am ready to preach the gospel. Then, verse 16, then he says why he's ready to preach the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he saying this? He's saying this because evidently there are people who are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There are people who are ashamed that anyone would find out that they believe in Jesus. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God. The gospel has the power of God. Unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of the virgin birth, the sinless life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. That is the gospel. And you know, the gospel is, is, is foolishness to the world because if you, if you look at the gospel message, everything about it is really foolishness to the intellectual mind. We talk about a man who was born of a virgin. That's strike one. Not only was he born of a virgin, but he lived a sinless life. Strike two. He healed the sick. He did miracles. He cast out devils. He cleansed lepers. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak. He even raised up the dead. All these stories. And then he died upon a cross. Now that part people can accept. Because that's what the Romans used to do to people. But then on the third day, he rose up again from the dead. Yet another bit of foolishness that's hard for the world to swallow. And after that, he ascended to heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to come back again. That is the gospel. And every, every part of this story, the gospel story smacks of foolishness to the intellectual man. But the Bible says that God has chosen that man should be saved through this foolishness. That is what God has chosen. That man, you see, this gospel that is foolish is the only avenue through which man can be saved. So what we try to do today, we try to have a, a, a you know, a, a sanitized gospel. Right? So uh, the virgin birth, let's not talk about that, okay? The sinless life, we don't talk about that. So we, the miracles, all that, no, let, let's not touch that. The, the, so the part that we have left with is, Jesus is that nice guy. He loves you. You know, these are the parts that are palatable to people. He's the nice guy. He doesn't judge anyone. He told us, don't judge. He doesn't condemn. He said, neither do I condemn you. And we leave out the part, go and sin no more. You know, neither do I condemn you. So we have a clean, a, a cleaned up. Uh, today, there's another language used for it. It's the seeker-friendly gospel. It's, it's the kind of gospel. But, but the real gospel, I tell you, it's a bloody, gory gospel. 
Because we talk about the time when they, when they stripped him of his clothes and they tied him up and the Romans took a flagrum which was a, a, a whip with nine belts of leather covered with pieces of metal and they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him and with each cut of that whip pieces of flesh and skin were torn off his back and, and, and the psalmist says that plowmen have plowed my back and have made deep furrows and then the blood flowed down from his back then they crowned him with thorns and the blood flowed from his brow then they took these two by fours and they beat him they beat him so bad that Isaiah says that his face was beaten beyond recognition then they made him carry that cross to Calvary and there they nailed him to the cross and he hung upon that wooden cross for six hours slowly bleeding in great pain and as he was upon that cross you see by that time God has taken all of our sins and all of our diseases and sicknesses and infirmities and put them upon Jesus and then at that time even God turned his face away from him and the sun refused to shine on him and the sky went dark and Jesus cried my father my father why have you forsaken me and then forsaken by man rejected by God he died upon that cross and his soul descended to Hades and when he was in Hades he preached the gospel to those who were kept in prison and then the Holy Ghost came down upon him and then on the third day he rose up from the dead hallelujah you see this gospel that we preach is a bloody gory gospel but its glory is in its goriness and it's in its bloodiness. That's where the power of the gospel is. And that is the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel Paul said I'm not ashamed of. You see, when Paul first came to the European continent, he came to the city of Athens. And one thing about Paul you've got to understand, not only was he an anointed man of God, but he... He was smart. He was wise. He could match wits with the greatest philosophers and debaters of his age. So he came to Athens and Athens was the uh, place where all the philosophers used to sit. So when you go to Mars Hills, if you have been to Athens in Greece and you go up to, you, you know, you come down from the Acropolis and you have that little rock, it's called Mars Hill. That's what, that was the place where he first preached the gospel. And you look down from Mars Hill, you see the places, you see the temples and the places where the philosophers used to meet and sit and debate. And Paul, Paul sat with them and debated and discussed with them trying to bring the gospel to the Greeks from the viewpoint of philosophy. He thought he would use that avenue of philosophy and to, to convince them about the veracity of Jesus Christ but he did not have any effect there and there was very little fruit in in Athens, although Athens was the big city of that time, that's why in the, gospel, in, in the New Testament, there is no letter to the church in Athens. But then he went to, Cor to Corinth from there. When he came to Corinth, he had learned this lesson. He said, I'm not going to do this philosophy thing anymore. And that is why he wrote to the church in Corinth. He says, brothers, when I came to you, 
I did not come to you with wisdom and eloquence, discuss, you know, preaching Christ to you, but I came to you with fear and trembling because I would that you would know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For the preaching of the cross is to them who perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. So he recognized that that's where the power was. It was in the preaching of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. And that message has not changed. Hallelujah. And that is the one message that God confirms with signs following. Signs do not follow any other message than the bloody, gory gospel. Some years ago, uh, I remember I was in Zimbabwe, and I've seen this so many times, but this night there was this, on the last night there was a little nine-year-old girl, nine-year-old girl, and I have this on video, and she, she was born paralyzed, got, got up and began to walk, and, and, and it, was, it was beautiful as she was walking, and the next night I'm on the plane from Johannesburg to Zurich, and I'm, I'm on my seat, and I'm just, you know, after a meeting like that, after a whole week, of miracles, it takes time to unwind, and I'm all wound up. And I'm thinking of this little girl. I said, Lord, explain to me, how can someone like this, born paralyzed, born crippled, carried by her mother to a crusade, gets up and walks? And I was trying to mix, I was trying to understand, because people, Americans, like to write books about the mechanics of miracles. Yeah. <laughs> how a miracle works. You know, the mathematics or the physics of a miracle. So I was trying to figure. And then I came to this conclusion. I said, you know what? This is what happened. This is what happened. I stood there. And I told these Africans the story of the death of a man who lived 2,000 years ago in a place... 5,000 miles away. And he died on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago in a place 5,000 miles away. And I, an ordinary person, when I, with my unworthy lips, spoke his worthy name, the power of God came and raised up this little girl. That's the only way I can explain it. There is power in that story. And there is power in that name. Hallelujah. So, now let me give you an example of the preaching of the gospel. Acts 14. There is an example. I'm talking about the power of the gospel. Acts 14, 5 to 10. This is when the church was persecuted. And then there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. That means both the Gentiles uh, and the Jews were upset at the church Christian and they decided to stone them and kill them, whatever. Verse 6, and they were aware of it and fell and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So, they fled from there to save their lives, and they came to Lystra and Derby. And there 
they preached the gospel. What did they preach? They preached the gospel. So, this is in Lystra. Then he says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. So they come to Lystra and Paul begins to preach the gospel. And here is this man who was a cripple from his mother's womb, sitting on the ground, hearing Paul preach. And as Paul preached, Paul saw this man and he saw that this man had faith to be healed. Now, this is interesting because the people in those days, they were fatalists. Faith, you know, I was a Muslim and Muslims are fatalists. All religions are fatalists. That means they believe that everything good or bad comes from God. And even if it is bad, don't ask questions about why, you know, why am I crippled? Why am I blind? There's no answer to these questions. But the fact is that, look, it is just the way it is because something good will come out of it in the end anyway. But no point in troubling yourself, asking yourself these difficult existentialist questions to which nobody has the answer. Just accept it as it is. So this man, he was from his childhood. I'm sure he had asked these questions. Why am I paralyzed? Why am I crippled? Nobody could answer his questions. So he, he, he had lived his whole life in a, 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 you know, with this thing of resignation. He was resigned to his fate. This is the way it is. I don't know why, but this is the way I am. But here comes Paul, and Paul preaches. And But whatever it is that Paul spoke that day was so powerful that it got into that man's heart. And I don't know how long Paul spoke, whether he spoke 10 minutes or he spoke one hour, but whatever it was that Paul said changed that man's position in life so that from a place of total resignation and despair, he came to the place where he had such faith that Paul could see it in the man's eyes and all Paul had to say was rise up and walk and the man got up and walked. So you know when I read this, I remember one day I read this story many times and one day it dawned on me. I wish I know what it was that Paul preached. I said, Lord, I wish they had you know, tape recorders those days or somebody had recorded because if I knew Paul, what Paul's sermon was, I would memorize that sermon and I would preach that sermon. That would be my only message that I would preach wherever I would go. And that message, when people would hear that message, they would be lifted up from despair and hopelessness to a place of faith. And lame people would walk and miracles would happen. That's the only message I need. Lord, what was that message? And the Lord said, it's right here. So I said, where is it? Then the Lord said, look at verse 7. That's what did he, what Paul preached. He preached the gospel. He preached the story 
of that man who was born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, and how he was whipped and bruised and beaten and crowned with thorns and crucified, and how he died and how he rose up from the dead. Paul preached that message because that's the message of the gospel. And wherever that gospel message is preached, lame people get up and walk and blind eyes are open and deaf pierced. People are healed and people receive Hope and life and salvation. That is the message. Hallelujah. Let me finish by telling a story. Many, many years ago. There's three points in the story. I'm saying this to make Pastor Eddie happy. Then there'll be three keys. And where you have keys, you have doors too. What's the point in having a key unless there's a lock and a door? <laughs> you know, many years ago, years ago, I remember I used to go to India. And uh, uh, when I first went to India, I went to South India. And South India, there's Christians and churches everywhere. And I thought, I can't just waste my time here. So I said to them, uh, send me to a bad place. Well, they say, what do you mean bad place? I said, tell me about a place where I can actually get killed, you know. <laughs> so they said, you should go to Orissa. That's a bad place. So I started going to Orissa to preach. So I was preaching, holding crusades. And that place, I'm telling you, the unreached. I went to one place and there was a little, tiny, little Baptist church there. I went there and I mean, it was just a tiny little group and that pastor, oh, he wanted to help us and I said, I looked at him, we were eating lunch, I said, brother, who was the last overseas preacher who was here? He looked at me and he was not being funny, he said, William Carey. That was like 1700s. Yeah. Anyway, we did a crusade, we planted a church there, so we started going to these places. And then... Uh, one day I met this man, and he, he, this guy was Pentecostal. He was on fire for God. He worked for the agricultural department. So the government had sent him up to the mountains, to this area, this region, where the people were, I mean, they were not even Hindus. They were animists, you know, worshiping spirits. And he says, the men are all drunks. The women are all prostitutes. They just, it's terrible. He said, the government is sending me there to teach these people agricultural skills so they can grow things on their land. So, so what happened, he went there and there were four villages that came to Jesus. And he started churches in those villages. Well, after that, these Hindu uh, extremists, they went on a rampage uh, in the province and they burnt about 20 churches and they killed pastors, they killed Christians. It was bad. And you know, Brother Guinea, that happens there. They were doing this. So I read about it in the International Herald Tribune. This became such a big issue. It was in the international papers. And the Prime Minister, Rajiv Gandhi, he uh, declared like a federal uh, uh, law in that place. And he forbade any religious gatherings. No, because just to calm everything down. No religious gatherings of any 
So I called my friends in Orissa. I said, brother, I want to go to Pulwani district. That's the area. They say, yeah, but the central government has said no religious gatherings. I said, that's precisely the reason I want to go there. They say, it's dangerous. I said, that's where all the fun is. I want to go where it's dangerous. <laughs> so he said, okay, fine, I will organize something. I said, just organize it, organize a crusade. So I remember we flew into Orissa with my team, and then we traveled by bus for 15 hours, you know. Uh, anyway, we came to this place, and it was right in the jungles. There was this town in this in the mountains, in the jungles, and, and so they told me, we're going to hold the crusade here, and uh, the crusade, instead of the crusade being held at night, we will hold it in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. So in the morning, we taught the pastors, oh, many pastors had come from all over the region, and, and now a crusade is in the afternoon. And I said, why in the afternoon? They said, because there's tigers and animals in the jungle, and people are afraid of moving at night, so the crusade will be held. I said, fine. So anyway, so the first night, uh, we, we did our crusade, and second night, third night, you know, God was doing miracles. Now the place is, there's thousands of people come from far, and we're in the middle of nowhere. The field was packed with people. So what had happened on the second, uh, the third day, you know, I had prepared a red-hot gospel message, and I was going to let them have it, you know. And so I am preaching and halfway through my message, I heard the Holy Spirit say, stop preaching and start praying for the sick. I said, Lord, I've got this message I've got, and let me preach it, you know. I'll throw the net out. And the Lord said, no, you pray for the sick. So I began to pray. Uh, first, I pray for the deaf, and the deaf people began to hear. Then I said, I I'm going to pray for the blind, and this blind people begin to receive sight. Then as I pray for the cripple. Now, uh, there we pray mass prayer because of the number of people. So as I begin to pray, right in front of me, I saw a mother was sitting with a little lame boy. He got up and began to walk. And people, you know, there was noise. And then right in the back of the crowd, kind of towards my left, I heard a lot of shouting and commotion going on. So I said, what's happening? And nobody could hear me because everybody there was shouting. And there was a lot of noise and people were running and you know there was a lot of chaos then after some time as I was watching I see a man with his hands raised in the air coming through the crowd and the crowd just opened up to let him through as he came real close to me coming pushing through the crowd I heard him shouting and he was shouting in Hindi he said yes that means Jesus is victorious Jesus is victorious and then as he came close my interpreter saw him the interpreter kind of freaked out when he saw this man next thing you know the man is on the platform and he grabbed the microphone from the interpreter and began to shout into the microphone Jesus is alive and then by this time the crowd came unglued there were trees, people were on trees and they were jumping down from the trees. Others were climbing on the trees. It was total holy chaos. And he was shouting, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Then he jumps down from the platform and begins to walk in this direction. And the whole crowd follows him. And he's, I could see his hands up in the air as he's yelling and shouting. And the whole crowd is screaming and yelling. Then five minutes later, the field is empty. I couldn't finish my message, couldn't do my altar call. Everybody's gone. 
except my team from Sweden, they're sitting on the platform and some of the pastors. And so the main pastor, I said, brother, what happened? <laughs> who, who was the man? He was white as a sheet. He said, he, this man, he says, I know this man. He was lame since birth. He couldn't stand without, you know, those big crutches they have under the armpits. He said he could only stand with those crutches. And he said he was the leader of these extremists who have been burning churches and killing Christians. He says they came in in three truckloads of men. He says they came in the back and, and he says when he came down with his men, he says these people are very violent. They have, and you know that brother Guinea, these people are terrible. He says I went to see what they were about to do. He says some of them I saw them with hand grenades in their hands and they were just waiting and he was just fuming. He was angry and he says and then suddenly you stopped preaching and began to pray for the sick and he, he says when you began to pray for the cripple suddenly his crutches like flew like it's like somebody yanked them from him and and then the next thing he's looking at his feet and looking at his legs he's standing for the first time in his life then he moves one foot forward he moves another foot and another foot and after a few steps he his hands shoot up in there and he begins to shout Jesus is alive Jesus is alive Jesus he says that's why that's why he says when he came on the platform and 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 anyway I couldn't do I said okay fine the next night the place was packed up anyway so I I a few months later I was back in another part and this agricultural guy who was the main cause of all this he came to me I said what happened he said pastor you wouldn't believe it he says 70 churches were planted in the immediate aftermath of this he says, those Baptists who were criticizing you for speaking in tongues, he says, they are now speaking in tongues. He says, there is, he says, there is revival. He says, revival in Pulbani district, and the power of God is moving. And at that time, kind of after that, God's grace for that region was lifted from me. I didn't, I didn't go back to India for many years. About 12 years later, I was in South India. I have a friend in Bangalore. He has a... A guy called Sam Taylor, he, has a, he had a big Bible school. He had like seven, 800 students. He was training church planters. And the, they would come from all over India and Nepal and all those places. So anyway, so I was teaching there. And at that time, there was persecution of churches in another part of India. And so I told them this story that I told you right now, just to encourage them. And I was telling them this. I said, listen, uh, whether the gospel is preached or not is not an option. It is an imperative. It's a commandment. It's not, he, Jesus didn't say to us, preach the gospel if you feel like it or if it's easy. But he is just something that has to be done. Okay, that's a commandment. It's an imperative. And uh, so I said that, but this is what God can do. And I told them the story. And I said, here's the key. I said, if your Jesus is bigger than the devil, then you're going to win. But if your devil is bigger than your Jesus, you're going to lose. It's as simple as that. So 
then, uh, then the bell rang and the class was over and I was standing outside the classroom, uh, just standing, getting some fresh air. And this, I saw this young man come walking to me and he had tears in his eyes. I said, young man, can I help you? And he threw himself and hugged my neck and he sobbed on my shoulder. And he says, pastor, I didn't recognize you. But when you told that story, then I recognized you. He says, I was a 10 year old boy sitting on my mother's lap on the ground in that meeting. He says, I remember when that man came up. He says, at that time, he said, that was the meeting I gave my life to Jesus. And he said, I heard a voice and God called me to preach the gospel. And I finished my high school. I went to college. I got my college degree. And now I'm here to learn to be a church planter. And he says, not only me, but there are 10 of us here right now, four girls and six boys who were all very small. And we were in that meeting and we all got saved in that meeting and we all heard God call us to preach the gospel. And when he said that, I began to cry because many times, you know, in my line of work, there's not many people understand what you do. I come back home from a big crusade in Africa to my home church and I go to church on Sunday and nobody even asks me. They'd never say, oh, Brother Christopher, you came back from Africa. Tell us what the Lord did. Nobody, nobody, nobody ever asked me. People are very jaded, you know. They think, uh, they don't ask me. And, uh, um, you know, I tell, I tell them story about somebody who was dead, who was raised up. There's no interest. There's, there's no, they would rather talk about their latest whatever, you know. And, uh, but that's the way. And, and so then, then you begin to wonder, you know, people, because we all need encouragement and appreciation. And when you don't get that, but when I saw that story, that's when I began to cry. Then I realized that the price that you pay for the gospel is not in vain. Uh, and the price is just not just me, but also the people who year after year, month after month, support us financially uh, without ever going to India, without ever seeing anything, but just hearing my reports and the people who pray for us. And, and I'm thinking all my friends who go to those parts of the world and preach the gospel. And when we, that's why I, I realized that the price we pay is worth it all. And that young man was the proof. So anyway, um, uh, I think about 10 more years passed and I get an email from this, the main pastor there. And, and uh, you know, one, one thing about uh, Indians, uh, they, they, uh, sometimes they don't have a filter. They'll tell you exactly what they're thinking. And this guy emails me, he says, oh, Brother Christopher, I heard you were dead, but I'm glad that you're alive. You know, you don't, you, you don't say that, you know. But he said, I thought you were dead, but I heard you're alive and you're living in America. Hallelujah, I'm so happy to hear that. Praise God. <laughs> then he said, I want you to know what happened. He says, this is what happened. He says, and this is like 20, 25 years later. And he says, this is what happened. He says, when you came here, the population of Christians in this region was 1.2%. But now we are more than 18%. Because that move of God that began 25 years ago has continued even today. People are on fire for God. He says, people, churches are being planted. He said, God is still moving after 25 years. So then what happened? I think four years ago, I was at Fire for the Nations and I shared the story there and this Indian guy comes running up to me young guy he says oh Pastor Christopher I was there I was a little kid my dad was
was the main pastor who organized everything. Every word you say is true. And I, I think I was going to war you or something. But what I'm saying to you, listen, the gospel. It is the gospel. It is that story of that man who died upon that cross. That makes all the difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's good that we feed people, that we spend money and we do all these things for people. But the real clincher is the story of that man who died upon that cross. His story must be told. And wherever his story is told, there is something built into that story that imparts faith to those who hear it. And that's when they embrace him with all their hearts. And that's when people are saved and people are healed and people are set free. So people ask me, why, why do you see miracles in Africa? You really want to know? It's because I tell that story. While you guys are talking about everything else, you know, your psychological diatribes, I said, I tell that story. And if you tell that story, you will also see miracles. We must tell that story. Hallelujah. The story of that man who was whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified. We must give our lives to telling that one story. Hallelujah. I tell people, you know, I really have only one sermon. I just clothe it in different scriptures every night. But it's one message. That's why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. I just want to make sure one thing. I know this church conference, but I want to make sure if there's anyone here and you came tonight and you say, Brother Christopher, I don't know whether I have peace with God, but I need to. I need my sins forgiven. I need to make things right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, you need your sins forgiven. You need to, need to make things right with God. Let me see your hand right now so I can pray with you. Just want to make sure. If everybody here says, I have great peace with God, I am saved, that's wonderful. But if there's anybody here, and you came in, and you don't know, this is your opportunity, because I don't want you to lay in your bed tonight feeling regret and saying that that man poured his heart out, but I was just, I just sat there thinking of what people would think of me. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what people think of you. So is there anybody else? I'll wait a few more seconds. Now, you know, this church, in its heart, the heart of this church is to preach the gospel, is to reach people. And that's why we must embrace this with all our hearts. I'm sure there's many people who come to this church, they say, oh, I like this church, I like Pastor Rusty, and 
I like to be fed. And that's great. I, I'm, I know you're fed. If I lived in Galveston, I'd be here. But it's more than that. It's about the heart of the church. The reason we exist is to fulfill the Great Commission. To preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples. That is the one thing Jesus commanded us to do. Those were his last words. And when he had finished saying those things, that's when he ascended to heaven. He left us with those words. We must preach the gospel. And we must make disciples. We must make followers of Jesus who will in their turn preach the gospel to others. So all these things about preaching the gospel and teaching others, making disciples. These things are the heartbeat of God. And so each one of us, we must embrace that as believers, even if you're not called to go. Doesn't matter, you don't have to have a personal calling to go to do that. Because that mandate is given to the church. Amen. And so, some are called to go, others are called to pray and to give. But either way, you're involved. I remember when David went to war, he went to fight and there were those who he left behind to take care of their stuff, take care of their baggage. And when he came back with the spoils, he said, everybody will receive an equal share. Because even if you don't go, but you give and you pray, you participate in that way, you have an equal share in the fruit because of your obedience. But a heart must be into the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Amen. Praise God. Let us uh, stand up together and raise our hands to God. And, because I always, always, and I do this every day in my personal life, just make a consecration of my life. There, you, you should, you know, it's not, consecration isn't just a one-time thing. It's something we all the time. Lord, I, you know, that's how we kind of recalibrate ourselves. This is one of the things we do. We consecrate, consecrate ourselves first to the Lord and then to the things that are close to His heart. And uh, that's how we consecrate. So let's raise up our hands and in our own words, just consecrate our lives. Father, I give my heart, my life, my soul to you. All that I am, all that I have, Father, belong to you to do your will, Father, to bear fruit so that you may be glorified. I have one solitary life to live on this earth, one life that you have given me, and I want to live it totally for you. I want to bear as much fruit, Father, as possibly can come through my life, Father. Thank you, Father, as much fruit as possible through my life so that you are glorified so that one day when I stand before you, Father, you will look at me and it will all count, Father. Thank you, Father. Let my life be for your glory. My life, my heart, my soul, my family, my possessions, let everything, 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 let it count, Father. I thank you. 
I honor you, I bless you, I glorify you. I thank you, Father, for my life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. And thank you for the people you have put in my life. And thank you for my church. And I thank you for all those, Father, who have believed in me and invested in me and have spoken into my life and poured into my life. I thank you, Father. I thank you for everything, everything you have done for me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, fathers. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we honor you. We glorify you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. Mm. How many of you have something you need prayer for? This is our last night. I want to make sure everybody's prayed for. You have something you need prayer for. Lift up your hand. Okay, just raise up your hand. Just come to the front. If you have anything, anything, it's physical, emotional, mental, your family, let's, let's just, just bring it. Because you know what? The answer to everything we need is found at the cross. Hallelujah. It is found at the cross. Pastor Rusty, Pastor Eddie, would you come and stand with me? The answer to everything we need is found at the cross. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has provided for everything we could ever need. Everything that we could ever need. Jesus has provided for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Shekitana masanda. Imahasantuko. Ekrutanamai. You know, one thing Pastor Rusty said the very first day was, what was that word you used, Pastor Rusty, for people who have those ailments and diseases that they live with, that they have accommodated into the chronic huh? lifestyle diseases. I know people who are deaf and just accepted it because they're one good year, one year is deaf. So it's okay. It's not okay. Anything that Jesus has already born, you shouldn't be bearing it. Amen. And so uh, you should be, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't accept any of these things in your body as part of your destiny. They are not part of your destiny. Amen. Because you see, when, when God created man, he created everything. He says, at the end of every day, he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. He created everything good. Praise God. So let's do this. Put your hand on the spot where your disease is. If it's something in your life, you put it on your heart. If it's your ear, stick your finger in your deaf ear. If it's your eyes, put your hand on your eyes. Whatever your trouble is. Father, we come to your presence in the name of your son, Jesus. Who was whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified. Bearing upon his own self all of our sins and carrying all our diseases. And by whose stripes we have been healed. I thank you Lord Jesus that you said that whatsoever we shall ask the Father. In your name it shall be done for us. So Father we come to your throne of grace in the name of your son Jesus. And I ask you to send down the healing anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our brothers and sisters right now. Touch them, Lord. 
touch them. Flow through them right now. And heal them from every sickness, disease, infirmity in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. I thank you, Father, for total healing, total restoration. Father, there are those who need creative miracles. I ask you for creative miracles in their bodies. If anything that has been destroyed and, and Lord, that, is, that has been damaged, I ask you to do creative miracles right now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Father, if anyone has a cancer or a tumor or a growth in the name of Jesus, I curse that evil thing. I command that thing to die and to dry up and wither away and disappear in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, if anyone has any injury in any of their limbs or their backs or hips or neck, I ask you to touch them and heal them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God. Father, I pray for those who have, uh, who have trouble with their, any of their internal organs, whether it's their pancreas or heart or liver or lungs or Father, they've, they've got any internal disease that is supposed to be incurable. I know, Father, that nothing is incurable for you. I ask you to touch them and to heal them right now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God. Father, Father God, in the name of Jesus, 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 Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to touch their eyes. If there's any cataract or eye disease, I ask you to touch them and Father, heal their eyes, make them whole in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In this critical time in our nation, the politicians talk about what America needs. This is what America needs right here. This is what it needs an awakening to the life and the power of God to shake this nation. Could it begin right here? This little, smallest church, biggest little church in the world. Right here. Right here. This is a stirring that is happening right now. This is a stirring that's happening right now. That stirring that's been in that prayer room it has now moved out into this auditorium. Has now moved out into this auditorium. Amen. And that stirring is fixing to move into a revival. A revival. A refreshing. And then an awakening. Just like a just like a sunrise after a dark night, an awakening. And harvest will begin to come in. That's where we're living right now. Serve God. Listen to me, church. Get all that clutter out of your life. What you think you might have to have, what you get it all out of your life. Get your life squeaky clean and get ready for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost this world's ever seen. Now's the time. You're going to find there's a lot of people that are jaded. That you're going to talk about what God did yesterday, but that's not even, shouldn't be an interest to us. We have to press in what God's doing in this day and hour. Amen. Now before we dismiss, let's one more time push back against this virus. Something has to break. We've been speaking about breakthrough. 
let me, let me, let me just give you some breakthroughs. This conference has been a breakthrough. Every, everything that could come against having this conference came against it. The, the enemy attacking speakers. Amen. Hurricanes in the Gulf, one right after another, after another. We just stayed on our knees and prayed and interceded. Amen. Everything said, you can't do it. People are going to get sick. They're going to go home. It's going to be a hot spot. We just said, Lord, you spoke to us. You said to have Fall Harvest Conference this year. We're pushing back. We're on the front end. We're speaking against this thing. Amen? Amen? And then we're praying over our nation. Amen? We need that breakthrough. This, this week, financially, you'd have thought, well, you know, a few people will show up. And, and praise God, we'll, we'll do good just to kind of meet a kind of a skeleton budget. So we set the budget big, $50,000. So not only have we met a $50,000 budget, we've put $80,000 in our building fund where we're going to begin to build. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. And we're going to give one check to Pastor Christopher. He's going to get two, one for his ministry this week. But we're going to give him one check to feed the hungry pastors for 20 grand. Hey, come on. Thank you, Jesus. You, you didn't get that. That, did, you, did anybody do the math? That's $150,000 that stands with all of our prayer that goes up for a memorial before God. So we got to get ready for a, when Peter spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost fell. Hallelujah. Everybody lift your hands up to heaven. Out loud, let your own ears hear what your voice is saying. Heavenly Father, I declare Jesus was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. By his stripes, I am healed. You bless my bread. You bless my water. You take all sickness. You take all symptoms from the midst of me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I forget not his benefits. He forgiveth all iniquity, healeth all disease, redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Thank you, Jesus. You said you'd never leave me. You'd never forsake me. You'd be with me always, even till the end of the age. Here we are. Here we are. Thank you for the grace to live at the end of the age. Heavenly Father, I thank you. You've not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Thank you, Father. No evil befalls me. No plague comes now my dwelling place. Angels have charge over me. Thank you, Lord. You've delivered me from the power of darkness. You've translated me into the kingdom of your dear son. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. Here we go. Here we go. The same spirit. The same spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells, abides, lives in me. In 
quickens. It makes alive my mortal body. Coronavirus, flus, colds, allergies, seasonal maladies. Hear my voice. I resist you. I speak against you. I push back. I am healed on the front side. Hallelujah. Now thank God. 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 Now, now someone would say, Oh, Pastor, you better be careful what you're saying. Oh, you better be careful. The devil may hear it. That's the dude we want to hear. That's exactly who we want to hear it. Right there in Jesus' name. What a glorious week. What a glorious week. Let me remind you, it's time to pray, church. I know we've got many visitors. Go home and pray. Go back to your church and pray. Go back to your ministries and pray. Call some people. Get them together. Pray. There is a stirring of prayer. We're a hundred and what? Ten days into it. Hundred days. And everybody's Pastor Sam said it twice. You can tell when a church been praying. I remember when I used to travel. I walk into a church. I could tell when they'd been praying. I could tell when they wasn't either. But we're praying. And to God be the glory. Father, we thank you so much for this week. Your blessing, the words that have been spoken the demonstrations of your life and power, the sweet fellowship, Lord, that you just allowed us to gather together and fellowship one with another. That which has been imparted, that which has been spoken, that which people will take back and nurture in their hearts, the seed that has been planted of the good word of God that will, that will produce the harvest in our hearts and Father we thank you for the souls yet to hear the cries of the hurting the fearful who even now in our nation have no hope whatsoever but I thank you tonight Lord that here in this place something has begun a stirring has begun and we thank you that out of it the end result will be many you said when Zion travails, sons and daughters are birthed into the kingdom. All of our friends and family that are traveling, we declare, we will befall them, no plague comes nigh their dwelling place. Angels have charge of them. Travels on the airways, highways, seaways, or railways. As men and women go back to their jobs and businesses, we thank you, Father. No trauma, no terror, no evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow. We thank you, Heavenly Father, also that there is a door of utterance for all of us as a church, personally, through ministry, that this week, the next few days, we will be an answer to somebody's prayer. We're going to be a problem to the devil, and we will be a miracle in someone's life. Lord, we leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you. The only way we can express our true love towards you, Father, is to give you our life like you gave us your life. We thank you for our friends and family, our church, those that have come from afar. We value each and every one. We walk in love one toward another. Let our love 
toward one another be elevated so that people can see just by looking at us that we are the children of God. Fathers, we leave tonight. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You call us to be thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. Get ready. Shout it out. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy. God bless you. We hope the word of God has blessed you today. If you would like to hear more messages, please visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.